For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. For any student of the Bible, it becomes evident that the second coming must have two phases. First, Jesus comes like a thief in the night for believers, catching believers up into the heavens to rescue them from the coming wrath. After a seven-year period, Jesus returns to defeat the armies of the Antichrist and to establish His millennial kingdom. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a fascinating look at the rapture and how it differs from what we call the second coming. I was called by a local mortuary to do, uh, to officiate at a funeral for a family that had a sudden death, and uh, they didn't have a, a local church or a pastor, so uh, mortuaries do that. Sometimes in a pinch, they'll call uh, the uh, local pastor and ask if uh, we wouldn't mind helping out, and of course, I was glad uh, to do that. So I met with the director get a little more information, of course, about the decedent, the guy who died, and uh, for the eulogy and all of that. We have fancy words, you know. (laughs) The Saturday morning arrived, and I was there, you know, somewhat early, and I had my suit and tie and Bible, and I met the family, and the next of kin looked down at my Bible and, and didn't have a pleasant look upon her face, And she said, you're not going to speak from the Bible, are you? Uh, You're not going to mention God, are you? And I I just was a little bit shocked. And I I said, well, uh, uh, quite honestly, I'm not sure uh, how to officiate a memorial service without mentioning God, but I will gladly remove the message of hope and... And uh, I will do my best to be very sensitive to your wishes, of course. So I made my way over to the director. And I said, they didn't want a Christian pastor. She said she made that clear to you. Why did you call me? And she says, isn't that what non-denominational means? (laughs) No. No. Let us all have a definition now of non-denominational. It just means it doesn't have a title like Methodist or Lutheran or Baptist. It's a Christian church. I said, just take out my card and write Jesus Freak next to it. So uh, there'll be no questions next time. No, I didn't really say that last part. But I did let her know, uh, do write in big letters, Christian uh, church there. So uh, talk about the saddest, uh, emptiest, pointless funerals. Um, but, wow, a tragic death on top of everything else. Plenty of grief to go around, but my hands were tied. I couldn't offer a ray of hope, a word of comfort, or an ounce of relief. There was no way to frame it in a way to be able to grieve better. There was just, the rug was pulled out from underneath all of that. So it was, you know, 
There's been a tragedy. Let's talk about his short life, the end, and reception, reception to follow. And so uh, to remove the message of hope, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, you know, in the face of death, no good news about God becoming one of us in love to lay down his life to bridge the, the gap and conquer death and take our sins away and give us new life because he loves us. Boy, no, none of that is possible. You know, the talk of eternal life. Wow. It made the loss um, that much more senseless and also, uh, to me, unbearable. Uh, Interestingly enough, the text for the rapture of the church and the second coming that we're going to take a look at was born out of a response of Thessalonians, their new believers, who didn't have the message of hope. There were gaps. They had some hope. They knew the Lord was coming. Uh, but the message was unclear about those who had died before the future event. Here they all are waiting for the Lord's coming. And they were. They were busy working and doing God's work and fighting together and love and, and uh, all of this fighting, you know, to maintain the faith because it was a tough place to be a Christian. And then all of a sudden, a couple of them died. And they were like, if the Lord's appearing and our gathering together in him, Bible, is a future event, they're not here for that event. And we love them and they love the Lord and we, we labor together with it, but they're gone. They missed it. Oh, if they could have just hung on. Are they going to be like in a different part of heaven or they're not going to be at the gathering? A lot of grief. And they were bearing that grief. And that's the context, really, of what's going on. So they need some information. And with that information, they're going to be able to grieve less. Uh, let's take a look at what, how Paul responded to their questions. 13 through 18 of First Thessalonians 4. Brothers. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died, fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in faith. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, probably Michael, and with the trumpet call of God. And those who have gone before us will get their bodies first. They will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Come on, folks. That's an amazing scripture. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. We're going to take it apart and take a look at it. 
you know, it's one of the most instructive passages that we have about the second coming, fascinating and intriguing as it is about that, as the poet uh, Yeats once wrote, that one far off divine event toward which all creation moves. We're talking about the maker of heaven and earth appearing. Folks, you know, the play is over when the director and producer walks out onto the stage, you know, and I took that line from C.S. Lewis, uh, by the way. Now, their grief was really confounded by this. They loved each other. Just a few sentences ago, he said, man, we don't have to lecture you guys about love. You guys got brotherly love down. So that's what heightened the grief is that how much they loved each other. They wanted everybody to experience that appearing and that gathering together and that party together because they loved them. And so he says, listen, I'm going to answer your concerns. And here's how he does it. He does it by dividing this... um, paragraph, if you will. Number one, Jesus coming and those who have died in faith, 13 through 15. And then in the rest of the couple of verses there, it's Jesus coming and those who happen to be alive at the time. We're going to get a little bit of information about those two uh, scenarios, okay? So let's pull out 13 through 15 and take a look at those who have died as Christians before the great coming or appearance of the Lord. Now, as we take a look at those verses, as you can see right there, verse 13, despite the saying to the contrary, ignorance is not bliss, right? Because uh, you'll notice with me that the lack of biblical knowledge adds to their pain and suffering. So how many times have you said, about a situation that you're really going through. If only I had that one piece of information, you know, it would have alleviated a lot of heartache. And so that's what's going on here. They have part of the story. They don't have the whole thing. And that little lack of knowledge, and this is so true in all Christian areas, uh, to be biblically informed is to be encouraged and strengthened It helps you to handle life's adversity by understanding. And it's not just here. It has to be an experiential knowledge. Amen? Amen. And so, yeah, it's not that even though you know about the Lord and the second coming and that we'll all be together, those of us who have had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we won't have grief. We'll have grief. And if you don't sorrow when there's a loss, there's something wrong and not healthy about that. Christian grief has a bottom. It has guardrails. There's only so much unraveling of a Christian's life that is possible given who we are, that we have the Holy Spirit, the promises of God, the presence of his spirit. There's only so much unraveling that kind of soul can do when when you have verses like, hey, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor powers nor things present nor things to come, height nor depth, naked peril, famine, sword, 
and neither anything else in all creation. That's my favorite part of that. Like if I've left something out, it's covered now, right? <laughs> Can separate us from the love of Christ. With the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know Jesus. I'm going to be okay. God's just with one big motto. I got this. <laughs> Amen? Amen? That sums up the whole Bible when it comes to try to uh, uh, relax. And so we have here uh, two ways to grieve with hope and without hope. Now, you know, he says, we have this information about God. We've experienced God. So uh, we don't grieve like the world who has no hope. We don't fall apart like them, right? There's no point of bitter, uh, without resolve. There's no silver lining and that kind of uh, grieving. Uh, To grieve without hope, it just reminded me of another story I was at the ER on a hospital call, Palm Drive Hospital, very tiny area there at the reception. There are doors right a stone's throw from you where everybody comes in and out right there. So while I'm there trying to get some information, an ambulance loud with sirens comes in and a gurney whizzes by us. And there is a paramedic straddling on top of a male patient doing aggressive CPR. And they go back. In the wake of them come who I assume, wife, 50s, daughter, 20s, sobbing. And I'm getting to hear parts of the story. We're this close. I'm standing there listening. He clutched his chest in the Safeway parking lot there in Sebastopol, fell to the pavement. They came and got him. She's undone. I'm this close. I take three steps over. Say, ma'am, I'm a pastor. Can I say a prayer for your husband? We don't pray. I had the same reaction as you, only I wasn't as loud. I stepped back to the little cubicle in front of the lady, and the nurse's face was like, whoa. Two minutes later, my personal physician was on call there, who I've known for years. He came out, and he says to her, I'm this close. We've done everything we can do. For him. They never regained the heartbeat from the parking lot. He died in the parking lot. The words that came out of her mouth and as she took her daughter away were words of hopelessness that don't bear repeating. They're just dark and empty and so needless. Yes, shock. Yes, grief. My word, yes, slightly unraveled all of us in that situation. But here's grieving with hope. Mom, Christian. Dad, Christian. Daughter, Christian. Honey, honey, listen. Daddy's with Jesus. Daddy's with Jesus. He's in heaven. He, he's where we all want to be, and God is going to bring him. We're going to see him again. Can you imagine, honey, what he sees right now? And God is going to be with us. You look at me, young lady. 
We've got the hope of eternal life. Jesus is going to take care of us. Sweetheart, listen to me. Uh, we're going to go to church on Sunday, you know, and all the moms are going to come in there with their food. And all, and, and, and all the moms are going to come in and say to the daughter, can we go shopping, honey? You know, and all the dads are going to come by the, the boys and say, hey, listen, I want to go hunting. You know, you want to go away with me and we'll take, take some time. And you've been through a lot. And through the prayers of God's people. And, and darling, listen up. We, we're going to go to Italy. They were supposed to go to Europe the next day. The husband and the wife. I left that part out. Sorry. She's, in my mind, would say to the daughter, Daddy would want us to go. You're coming with me, and we're going to go to Italy, and we're going to pray together and let the Lord heal us. Huh? Okay? We do not grieve the way the world grieves. That's what the Bible says. Shed your tears, you know. Put on your sunglasses, you, you know, but then go and eat the chicken dinner. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you, oh, if you don't think people do, cry a little bit and go eat the chicken dinner. Honey, let's not overestimate how much everybody's going to be devastated when you're not here. <laughs> what? Come on. Life goes on. Hello, we do it all the time. Everybody, all of us think, well, whatever. Wow, I'll use my laser pointer on you. Watch out. I just want you to see another thing that you possibly not have seen. A couple sentences ago, in fact, one sentence before this, he's saying we need to manage our lives in a way that's peaceful and ordered to win the respect of the outsider. Next thought, the way you grieve. The next thought is the world's watching when you get thrown a curveball and suddenly you are going to Italy and suddenly he's not around anymore and the world's going, whoa, and watching. Do they, do they get, we don't pray and dark and empty or do they get, wow, whoa, Chuck O'Daniel, one more story. Chuck O'Daniel, six years ago, we just moved in this building. Five kids, wife. The wife says, honey, I'm going to go pick up Kelsey at Annalee. She gets in the car, goes to get Kelsey, picks her up on the way home, a drunk driver, 75 miles an hour, head-on collision. Kathy is with the Lord. Kelsey survives with injury. They're in the ER at Memorial. I get there before a lot of people. I'm sitting next to Chuck. Father of five, daughter's alive, doesn't know mom's gone. And he says to me, Ross, I can't explain it. I have this peace. I, I don't feel panicked. And I, I'm a little concerned that I don't have, I mean, I know where Kathy is and, and he spared Kelsey and we, he's got a plan and something beautiful is going to happen. I don't see it now but we're going to get through this. The church is all surrounding in the parking lot. And, 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 and we went back and talked to Kelsey. And, uh, and then he came out and he addressed the 50 people in the ER from our church. 
while the nurses and the paramedics and everybody's shaking their head going, drunk driver just killed his wife, mother of five. And he's saying, listen, everybody, thank you, composed. Thank you for coming. God's hand is upon us. Kathy is with the Lord Jesus Christ in the eternal glory. We praise him for that. Kelsey is alive. We give God glory for that. And we're going to get through this. Oh. Is that how people with hope grieve? Yeah, it is. We don't grieve like the world. You have a, you have a moral obligation the way you handle adversity to not come undone like a pagan who, who doesn't have... I didn't mean that as harsh as it sounded. I, <laughs> but apparently, you got an amen out of it. So yeah, praise the Lord. He goes on. Wonderful implication. He's saying, we got a bottom to it. You know, we hit the bottom and we bounce back. You know, we have framework to handle our curveballs and we embrace a person. It's not just a philosophy. Uh, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And Jesus said, I'm sending him to be inside you to take care of you. And his name means the one, Paracletos, comforter. The Holy Spirit's name means the one who comes alongside with the arm around to help. That's what the name means. Alongside one arm, help. Wow. Right. We grieve in a different way. We handle our troubles, you know. We handle it God's way. Amen. Now, here's the first ray of enlightenment. He calls uh, dying in faith by the Christian euphemism to have fallen asleep. And he does so in 13. Look at the text in 14 and in 15. Three times he wants to use this word instead of death because Christians coined this term for death to be having sleeping, and it always is only referring to the body, never to the spirit. And I'll make a case for that. Well, it's just an amazing thing. Why does uh, the Bible refer to death for the believer as sleep? Because it's temporary. Because that body has gone down, but that body's going to get up. And just like sleep. Now, think about sleep. God, sleep is God's object lesson to everybody in the world about death and resurrection. I, I mean, why else? I mean, it's a strange thing, sleep. So, I mean, just think about it. <laughs> Every day, you know, we go to a room. Where I, I just explain it to an alien who's visiting. You know, what's that? It's a bed. Well, why, what's up with that? Well, you know... Every 24 hours, we get really dizzy, and we have to lay down and go unconscious, you know, for about 10 hours, and we pull the blankets up over us, and we just go like, like we're dead, you know? <laughs> and, and, and some of us look better than others in that, apparently. What, what is up with that? Well, just like one must, and nobody escapes. Everybody's got to fall down, Take the sheet over now. The sun comes up and there's some birds singing and someone has to awake and get up. You think God just made sleep so that, you know, it would half his uh, workload, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, he's like, okay, half of them are down. <laughs> Phew. Now I got to deal with that. <laughs> 
I don't think so. I think he can handle us all, you know, 24-7, you know. There's a reason we do stuff like that. There's a reason there's a day and night, day and night, day and night. There's a lesson there. Do you think we needed four seasons just because what? God was bored? You know, we have four seasons to illustrate death, barrenness, gone, buried, ground, sun comes out. Up comes life. How does that happen? Oh, yeah, that's what Easter's about. That's why you go to church twice a year, Easter and Christmas. <laughs> I better stop while I'm ahead. All right, so a huge importance. Listen, let me tell you. I've seen, unfortunately, I've been to many bedsides. That's part of the job. I've seen what it looks like. It looks like it's sleeping. It looks asleep. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the person. How could we? Let me explain. Paul the Apostle says, you know what? Philippians 1. They almost killed me back there. I'm going to die soon. They're going to get me. And he says, you know what? I'm kind of got mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I want to depart. That's a nice way of saying die. I want to depart and be with Christ. Right? I don't know which one, but, uh, you know, I know I love you guys, and, and you guys need me, and I need you, and I, I'm convinced of this. I'm going to stay, but, you know, I'm really torn because I want to depart and go into a little sleep chamber somewhere? No, to be with Christ. He'll follow that up to the Corinthians and say, to be absent from the body, that means dead, to be absent from your body, is to be with the Lord while your body sleeps in the grave. And then when Christ appears, you will get the dead bodies are raised. If we have a natural body, we have a spiritual body. That's from 1 Corinthians 15. And when we go to heaven, we have a spiritual body. But it's not complete until the resurrection when we receive this body gets resurrected. It's going to be changed. I have that uh, scripture. It's going to be changed in a, in, in a, you know, yeah, that one. I declare to you, brothers, that you cannot enter heaven with your natural bodies. Listen, I tell you a mystery. This is uh, along the same lines as the rapture. We will not experience death, not all of us, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. There they are again. For the trumpet will sound. Those who have gone before will receive their perfected bodies, and we who are alive shall be changed, you see. So we are resurrected on sight. We, get the, we are done as if we had been dead and raised, but we are just kind of translated, and that is uh, our, our, our beautiful hope. And so, uh, listen, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, preaches a dynamic sermon. It cuts his uh, hostile opponents to the heart, so much so they want to kill him, and they do. They pick up rocks, they drag him out to a field, and they start to kill him. And he says, as the stones are flying, I see heaven open, and Jesus standing at the right hand of the majesty of God. And he says, Lord, receive my spirit. Amen. 
Okay, what's happening there? Jesus is saying, heaven is open. This is the scene for every Christian who dies. Jesus stands to receive. The heavens are open, and we say, receive my spirit. What did Jesus say? Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he tells the thief on the cross, this day you will be in paradise with me, not sleeping. His body, asleep in the grave. That thief on the cross, his body looked like it was sleeping. They took it down and they laid it down to rest. We don't sleep. That's false doctrine. We do not sleep. They are alive and well. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, dear Thessalonians, I'm writing to inform you to depart the body, two scenarios, if, if we die, a believer, to depart the body today in faith is to enter the presence of the Lord in spiritual bodies, while the physical body is resting, in your case, my case, probably Santa Rosa somewhere, uh, until the trumpet sounds, then that body will be raised perfectly, beautifully, oh, without flaw. You will love your new body, but it is you and your body. It is joined to your spirit, and it's going to be a glorious body like his, Philippians chapter 3. We share a body like his, and it's going to be beautiful. Now, and that can happen at any second for us if he comes while we're alive. He says, in a twinkling of an eye, we're changed. Boom. And we've got that new body. So I'm prepared. This is called a comb. (laughs) And that's my little way of saying, Ross, the rapture is imminent. Jesus is coming any second. You may need this. All right. (laughs) It's just my little way. It's just my little way. I said, let me practice. Whoa. That's what he's saying. So you're saying, well, what are they doing up there? Well, there's a big event coming. They may be involved in helping prepare what Jesus said he was doing, right? We don't know. Well, what happens if you die and you don't know the Lord? Well, you descend to a place the Lord called a garbage dump. That's the word translated Gehenna or hell is translated garbage heap that smoldered there. And they are disembodied, right? They don't have their body. They are spiritually there in their spiritual body with feelings. They talk. Luke 16, they talk. They're aware. They remembered their life. Hey, I got five brothers. Luke 16. They will be resurrected to their bodies at the end of the age where they will face judgment. They get their body and they'll be sentenced. And then it ends, unfortunately, in what the Bible calls, not what I call, not what Calvary Chapel calls, but what the Bible and Jesus calls the lake of fire. So two options there to go. Uh, Now, so that's how he sums it up. So here's what he's saying. Dear Thessalonians, about your mama who died, listen, listen, I got good news. 
Far from being excluded from the appearing and gathering, they're kind of a main part. And check out the scripture. It says, if anything, in fact, they've got it ahead of us. Because look, what he could have said is, they get their bodies, right? Which they do. But instead he says, when Jesus appears, he will bring them. That's their big concern, right? So yeah, they get their body. They get it before we do. So in a flash of an eye, he says, those who are with them, with Jesus, are resurrected to their body. It's perfected, and he brings them. So when you show up, you who are hurting and grieving about Christian mama, he brings her in tow with her perfected body, which she got before yours. And then you will meet together and you'll all be together. And, why, and I love what he says. Since we believe, look at your text, since, that we, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, therefore, why did he say that? He's saying, now look, if you believe you're a Christian that Jesus died and rose again, his ultimate purpose to make sure that our fears of being separated from those we love in Christ They'll be accomplished. So since we believe in, in what he did, trust me, your fears about being separated at death are, can be alleviated because he's going to go all the way, bring them in tow. And not only mama, not only the Lord Jesus Christ, but according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, all who long and love his appearing. She's there. She's perfected. He appears with her and them. And you are caught up. And it's one big happy gathering. And he's got a purpose for why it's in the air and not all the way in the city. And we'll talk about that now as we get going on the second part, 16 through 18. Okay, so we've laid those fears to rest, pun intended, and now what about the second coming and those who are alive and remain? In other words, the second coming and those who are vacuuming the living room or sitting at Starbucks, sipping a latte or working at your computer, staring mindlessly at your Excel spreadsheet. All right. Is that something you're going to be doing something. If he comes when you're alive, you will be doing something. What happens then? What does that look like? Look at these words. Come on, people. This is fascinating. The Lord himself and none other will come down from heaven with a loud command, a voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. Those who have died already, they get their bodies. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we're always going to be with them. So comfort one another. Okay. That's a wow. Now Jesus comes down and the church goes up. Second coming 101. I hope you had a good breakfast. All right. Well, let's talk about this. The word parousia. It is the word for coming, but it's taken on the coming. It means to arrive. So in 2 Corinthians, uh, 
Paul says here, I was so happy when Timothy arrived. It's the same word, parousia. But when we use it about Jesus showing up, it's the, all caps, parousia, his appearing, all right? Now, there's a beautiful mystery revealed here. There is one second coming, but there are two appearances because there are references, my friends, to two very different descriptions of this coming. The word parousia, coming, Jesus coming, is used in two ways that are not reconcilable unless you have two appearings. If you have two appearings, then we're, we're good. One event, but phase, act one and act two separated by seven years or so, that will make sense. And let me put some things on the table. In fact, let's read a definition to just start the idea that there are two appearances, okay? The rapture is when Jesus Christ returns to remove the church from harm's way, all believers in Christ, from the earth. The rapture is described in our text and in 1 Corinthians 15, which I read to you. Believers who have died will have their bodies resurrected and along with believers who are still living will meet the Lord in the air. This will all occur in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The second coming is when Jesus returns to defeat the Antichrist, destroy evil, and establish his millennial kingdom. The second coming is described in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. So which is it? I mean, is it his coming, we go up, he's halfway, and we go up? Or there are scriptures where he appears and he's coming down and he's engaging on the earth. We have two events and we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about how they're different. All right, so let's get thinking here. Our text first, the rapture. He says that we get caught up. Now, let's look at that word there, caught up. The Greek word there is harpazo. And it means to violently grab or to snatch up or to catch away. Now, the, when the, the New Testament went to Latin, that's called the Vulgate. The Latin word for harpazo or for catching up is rapturo. Same word for harpazo, all three, caught up, snatched, grabbed, all the same word. So it's just a little bit of a jump from rapturo in Latin to the rapture. So anybody who says, hey, the rapture's not even in the Bible. Yeah, it is. It's this word in Latin. That's where we get it from. Oh, it's a 200-year idea. Excuse me, it's as old as the Apostle Paul who penned it there, right? And so the rapture is the grab, all right? That's exactly. This is what Jesus talked about when he said, one will be taken and one will be left. Look at John 14. This is rapture weather, okay? John 14. Did you ever stop to think about this? This is rapture. This is not second coming. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is on Passover night, last supper. Trust in God. Guys, trust also in me. In my Father's house in heaven, there's a place for you. If it weren't so, I would have told you. 
I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you will be where I am. That's not the second coming. That's not the end of Revelation. That's a taking us up to be where he is. That's the rapture because he's speaking to Christians, to disciples. Yeah, that's, that's an important distinction, right? So we have verses like that, that he comes back to take us where he is. Uh, Matthew 24, that says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That's how it's going to be at the, son of, uh, at the coming of the Son of God. Adam, the next verse after that follows. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken. I will come and take you to be where I am. And the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken one will be caught up. One will be rapturo. One will be harpazo. One will be grabbed up and the other left. That is called the rapture. Now, let's take a look at a distinct use of parousia in a way that has the Lord and the church coming down. All right? So uh, how about Zechariah? Start in the Old Testament. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. What? I thought he's meeting us in the air. And we all get snatched up to be with the Lord in the air. What do you mean? He comes down all the way? Yeah, at the second coming. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two. Yeah, things are really going to happen when he shows up. Uh, then the Lord my God will come. There he is. And the Holy ones with him. Now, wait a second. I thought the holy ones who are with him get caught up, and he's up there, and he calls them up. But now you're telling me he comes down with the holy ones. Well, okay, well, there's more. <laughs> After Zechariah, we've got Revelation 19. Revelation 19, he engages the armies. At the end of 21 judgments, he comes after all of that with the armies of heaven down, and he does business. He sets up a throne. So you have that right there. Do we go to him and rendezvous, or does he come down and engage the earth? Both are true. One is called the grab, and one is called the second coming. Technically, I... I could say the second coming includes the first act, but for clarity, they're very different. Let me show you one more huge difference. And if, if you're not convinced, you're about to be. Matthew 24. The difference is the condition of the world when that appearing happens. This is the ticket right here. Pay attention. Jesus is asked, hey, tell us about the end of the world and the sign of your coming. 
And so he says in Matthew 24, as it was in the days, we just read it, so let's read it again. As it was in the days of Noah, before that catastrophic event, it'll be the same way when I come. In the days before that terrible end of the world, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. You get business as usual. Up until the very last day, they didn't have a clue. Right up. Okay, so what is he saying? That is how it will be when I appear. Okay, so a place where they're saying peace and safety, no concern, no sense of impending doom. Jesus said, just like days of Noah. Oh, they're going to parties, they're drinking, they're, 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 nobody's aware. And the thief comes in, takes the valuables, and gets out of there. Jesus himself calls himself a thief in the night. How could the Son of God say there's anything like a thief is like him? Oh, a thief's job is to get in without being detected. Take what he wants and get out without being seen. And then in his wake, everyone looks around and goes, hey, where did that go? Or in our case, where did they go? Ah, oh, we got two different things going on here. So one, one is, okay, business as usual. Uh, peace and safety. Do I have that, um, Peter, uh, now brothers about times and dates? We don't need to write you. For, we, for you know very well that the day of the Lord, the end of the world, <laughs> judgment, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly because, and then it's too late. Labor day, labor day. <laughs> labor pains on a pregnant woman. They come fast. So water, your water can break, boom. Uh, you know, you weren't expecting that and now it's too late. Now, Jesus has just said, when I appear, Oh, the world's not going to even know. It'll be a regular Tuesday. Oh, yeah? Well, then why, Jesus, did you tell John in the book of Revelation that first a few things have to happen and then I come? He called it the seven seals. Here they were. These things, he says, will come first and then I appear. All right. The world's greatest dictator, the Antichrist, appears. The world's greatest war the world's greatest famine, the world's greatest death blow, one third of the population in that verse is gone. One third of the earth. And we just started. The world's greatest persecution, the world's millions. The world's greatest astronomical disaster, the sun, moon, and stars are out of order. Seven, the world's greatest hour, there's an hour of this terrible supernatural fear. Those are the seals. Next comes the judgments, the trumpets. Trumpet number one, the world's greatest fire. A third of the earth and all the green grass on the whole planet up in flames. The world's greatest oceanic disturbances. The world's greatest poisoning of the waters. These are just the start. It finishes up. The world's greatest darkness. The sun stops shining for a few days. Utter darkness. The world's greatest pestilence, invasion. 
the world's greatest military campaign. 200 million of those goose-stepping soldiers. 200 million out to destroy. The world's greatest hailstorm. Oh, but there are seven bulls next, John, before I come back. John, tell them seven more things. Here come the seven bulls. The world's greatest epidemic. The world's greatest oceanic disaster. It says no life left in the oceans at all. The whole planet. The world's greatest contamination of rivers and springs. It says not one drop of water uncontaminated. Nuclear? The greatest scorching, the sun. There are sun scorchings. The sun has a solar storm. The world's greatest plague, the world's greatest invasion, the world's greatest earthquake. And let me just read to you what that, the next verse says after that. For every, it's a big word, island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of the hail because the plague was so terrible. Hold in your thoughts now. When I come back, oh, business as usual, just, you know, engagement. Hey, RSVP for the wedding. There's no honeymoon because there's no Hawaii. All right? There's no island. Are you going to go to the mountains or to the islands? Oh, our options have been limited. A little humor helps here, folks. It's a pretty serious show. You can cooperate with me just a little bit, all right? Now, listen. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the Son of God saying, hey, when I light up the skies, when I appear, nobody's going to be aware of anything. And notice what he said. Right up until the day the flood came. In other words, the day before, they were still clueless. How does that reconcile with 21 judgments that levels the earth into an unlivable sphere of charred remains? You've got to have two comings. You've got to have two uh, appearances. Or Jesus doesn't come today. Oh, your, your argument of imminence, that means any second Christ can come, is over. If you don't have a rapture. Uh, he can't come today, and he can't come tomorrow either. And I can say that 100% based on the Bible. Because those 21 things have to happen. He appears after that. After that verse, bam, the skies light up. He and heaven's armies and the church appear, and they make war with him. And he comes down, the Antichrist is captured, the false prophet, they're thrown into the lake of fire, boom. But he cannot come until those things have happened. In fact, Daniel gives you the dates. He says 1,290 days from the time the Antichrist goes in with his magic trick and says, I'm God. He says, mark your calendars, brothers, 1,290 days from that day, he appears. Ah, so we have a problem here. Is it a surprise business as usual day? Or is it a predictable event that follows 21 judgments? 
and the prophecies of three and a half years from the abomination and desolation, he appears. Ah, let me explain why we have a rapture. We have a rapture because he will keep his promise. Here's his promise. There's something called those seven years and the 12 things that I just read to you from your Bible is called the day of the Lord or the day of God's wrath. Gotcha? All right, got this? He says, I will spare you from the coming wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. We're waiting for Jesus, who's coming from heaven, to rescue us from the coming wrath. Another verse says, we are not appointed unto wrath. Man's wrath, check. Yeah, we've got to do it. The devil's wrath, unfortunately, check. Yes. The seven-year wrath of God called the day of the Lord, which is called 19 times in the Old Testament, five times in the New Testament, called the day of God's wrath. It is a special period of time, seven years that brings human history to an end. That wrath, we're spared. Jesus took that wrath for us. So the rapture, on a day like today, well, we kind of see things heating up, but you know we're still RV, our RSVPing. You know, <laughs> we're still going out for dinner, right? On one of those days, he takes us, and then everything I read to you will come to pass. And he promised this, Revelation 3.10, to the church, I promise to spare you, church, from the coming wrath that is coming upon the entire earth. Question. Okay, Jesus, thank you for saying that. But if you're going to spare me from something that's coming to the entire earth, how are you going to keep me safe? It's called the grab. It's called the catching away. That's what he does. Don't let anybody kid you. We do not go through. We do not go through. If we go through, how is Matthew 24 true? That everybody's just celebrating, having parties, and going to work? How can that be true? It can't be. That's why we go separately, before the wrath falls. Not the wrath of man, not the wrath of the devil. Well, there's plenty of that going around. Christians are suffering pretty bad stuff, but the wrath of God. One last thing, Revelation chapter six. When it starts, when the whole thing starts, he says, now the day of God's wrath is here. Who is able to stand? So now we know Revelation 6 through 18, what I read to you, that's got a title. It's called the day of the Lord's wrath. And that is different from all everything else. And that is the thing that you and I will be spared. And he said, therefore, in light of this knowledge, and as you see things heating up in the world, encourage one another. With these words, we're waiting for that twinkling of an eye. One commentator said, what, what's up with the trumpet, the voice, and the shout? Do they hear it too? 
a lot of people say yes. They hear the sound and they associate something supernatural just happened and then they realize the thief has been here and taken the goods. Now what? Good news. The good news. While they are busy worshiping Mr. Wonderful and getting a new tattoo, 666, and by the way, you can repent and live. It will cost you, but you can come to the Lord during that time. But while they're dodging mountains on fire, falling into the sea, um, we are with the Lord, and we are doing something called a Bema Seat Judgment. That means we are being evaluated for the stewardship of our lives. And either it's rewards night. That's what it is. And, and you're not competing with pastors or anybody else. You're competing with you. Your gifts, your abilities, your time, God knows. And how faithful you were or lack thereof, you will be rewarded. After that scene is over, then we have a, something called a big feast. It's a marriage supper. It's like a big wedding where, God, where, where the Lord just pronounces his love for the church. And there's just that union. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful thing. Then, seven years are done. The kings are gathered in a valley plain called Har Megiddo, which we call Armageddon. They gather, it's time he gets saddled up, the Lord of glory, and he will return and deal with them. And when he does come, he sits on a throne, he renews the earth to Eden-like characteristics. And he begins judging the survivors. It's called the sheep and the goat. And he puts the sheep on the right and the goats to the left. And we begin a whole new world in new bodies where only righteousness dwells. So praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this seminar, <laughs> this conference. <laughs> oh, Lord, a lot to talk about. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We ask now for your blessing as we reflect on all of these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.